0: A lot of those fish are actually you know backing out of the lake um and moving into those river systems and so they become super targetable on a on a swung fly um and it's kind of a similar phenomenon to the i think in the in the springtime you know those fish are super hungry they're coming in the shallows so they're really easy to target and then in the back end of the season i think they feel that you know the winter's coming they're you know really hungry and and uh, so they kind of rainbow trout kind of do that progression they, they eat just about anything in the spring they kind of see um, flesh and eggs coming down. So they get really particular about that.
1: That was Kyle Shea talking about swinging flies for Alaskan rainbows and the changing seasons. This is the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. How's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. In today's episode, I talk with uh, Kyle Shea, who breaks out some of his best tips for Alaska. Kyle talks about his connection with Daniki Outdoors and how he wrote over 1,400 uh, blog posts for them over the years. We talk about leopard rainbows, the best time to catch rainbows, um, and a step-by-step guide to the gear you need for your next trip. Don't miss this one as Kyle tells us about one of the most important casts you need when fishing heavy flies in Alaska and really for any species. I wanted to quickly let you know of a new hosted fly fishing trip I have coming next year. This is your typical hosted trip, but on steroids. Go to wetflyswing.com slash destination to get on the waiting list for the next big trip. We'll be heading to a lodge um, to one of the great destinations and accompanied by a few of the big guests from this podcast. We are planning trips uh, eventually for Alaska, BC, Mexico, Belize, New Zealand, and more. But right now I only have 10 slots available for this first trip. So go to wetflyswing.com slash D E S T I nation to get uh, more information on the first trip and to sign up for the waiting list for any of the upcoming trips. So, without further ado, here is Kyle Shea. How's it going, Kyle? Good, man. How are you, Dave? Good, good. Uh, great to have you on the show. We've, uh, I think, you know, I've talked about this before, but how I've kind of connected, uh, you know, to people throughout this my little journey I'm on here, and uh, and Tom Larimer was, I think, the guy that kind of uh, connected us, and it's it's pretty awesome because uh, Tom. I'm not even sure on the downloads and all of my stuff but I think his episode was definitely one of my favorites you know the guy kind of broke things down in a systematic way so hopefully we can get into some of that a little bit today but maybe we can talk about you know how you first got into uh, fly fishing to start off and how and is it uh is it denicky or uh, Denicky or how do you pronounce that
0: Daniki Outdoors. Yep. That's okay. where, I, where I worked for the past six years or so. Yep. Yeah. Daniki, yep,
1: it's a Daniki common pronunciation, <laughs> Exactly. No, I know. It's uh, I've heard both ways. But yeah, Daniki. So, and I, I obviously, before I met you, I've seen lots of the blog posts and read stuff there on that site. But uh, before we get into all that, maybe you just chat about how you first got into fly fishing.
0: Yeah, so um, I wasn't one of those kids uh, necessarily that, you know, grew up with a fly rod in their hands like you hear about a lot Um, today. um, Baseball was a big part of my life growing up, so played a lot of competitive sports and that sort of thing Um, and spent a lot of time outside as a kid and fished with a spinning rod for, you know, bass or I'm from Maine, Bar Harbor, Maine, um, so fished for mackerel and that sort of thing in the little bays around there, but nothing too serious um, until probably um, it all blends, but it's like probably the and the high school beginning of college kind of got in caught caught that fishing bug like most people do um when i could see kind of the end of the end of the road for the sports career so to speak Mm -hmm. um kind of found a different um, avenue had a little summer gig um you know mowing lawns that sort of thing worked with some folks that fly fished um so kind of got interested in it more or less taught myself um had a lot of mentors along the way of course um but Started getting really serious into it once the once the baseball started timing out and um, and then kind of through that it was actually kind of wild but found out after kind of teaching myself how to cast and and reading all up on fishing and that sort of thing um, found out that my great great grandfather I guess or twice two generations mm-hmm. removed um, actually had a commercialized you know um, Atlantic salmon pattern um, on the mm-hmm. East Coast so kind of related to my grandmother uh, before she passed back then um so it was kind of in the family i didn't know it um but but kind of found it on my own and then um you know fished throughout college um and got really serious about it and decided i really wanted to guide at some point thought i was going to do the fisheries biology thing like i think most of us do um mm-hmm. when we're looking for a job early on um and then right out of school kind of did an internship um with fishing and Um, wildlife in maine um, and kind of realized that i'd rather fish um, than net fish um and uh and so started guiding pretty much right out of college got my guide license in maine um guided for oh i don't know two or three years i think i had my license but it was more or less just you know getting shop days worked in the you know three shops um just got some days when i could but then throughout that whole processed um in college especially. Um read a lot of blogs um and nerded out and all that stuff. And the Daniki blog was a one that I checked all the time and really respected. Um and so when it became time when I decided I wanted to get outside of Maine and kind of um fish for a living, so to speak, and actually guide full time, um, threw a lot of resumes out there. Um I think I something like a hundred and twenty <laughs> Um, gigs across the West and in Alaska. Um, and it was a long process and a lot of, you know, emails back and forth. But I actually got an email from um, Daniki from Alaska West, um, which they owned at the time, still do, um, to come out and guide for them. And so that kind of spun into the next chapter of doing it full-time, working in mm-hmm. Alaska.
1: Oh, cool. And what, what was the name of the uh, Atlantic salmon? Was there a name of your great-great-grandfather's pattern?
0: Yeah, it was called the. It's called the Colburn, the Colburn Special. Um, so my grandmother's uh, maiden name is Colburn, and it's has three different variants. The the most common one, which you can find in some shops still in the Northeast and in Canada, um, is like a chartreuse and black um, hair wing, so to speak. And there's like a few different color variations of that. I've been dying to do a long-term Atlantic trip, but they're all. Kind of said and gone in Maine
1: right now. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh right, right. What's the? Um, how do you spell uh, Colburn? C O L B U R N. Oh yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, and then what was the? Um, so I'm just I'm just taking a look at the. I know I've heard of the Colburn. I've heard of that pattern. I'm looking at. Um, oh yeah, yeah. It's yep. I got you. It's uh, chartreuse and black. Mm-hmm um it's a little cool. bit of yellow yeah. yeah 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 exactly yeah that's classic um and then and the baseball thing what was your were you thinking uh you know going pro was that was that kind of your your thought or kind of going semi pro on that was that before you got into the fly fishing
0: That was I mean that was the thought I think uh for my you know young adult life and then um played in college but could kind of see you know once getting into college that I wasn't a stud by any means yeah. um but just love the game for sure it, it, that's been kind of a, the same thing I've done with, did with fishing is, um, kind of tunnel vision into one thing and baseball is that thing for the yep. majority of my life. And then, um, as soon as that sort of started running out, um, as not being a career, so to speak, which, you know, I wasn't, um, delirious enough to think that it would be after a certain point. Um, yeah. Fishing kind of came the exact same thing. So I was always an extremely, you know, nerdy and technical hitter, for example. And I just kind of brought that into oh, casting yeah. and, huh. and, uh, and that's and right. It's, it's kind of snowballed. Yeah.
1: And you got yeah. your FFI instruct, uh, certification and everything there. Um, yep. yeah, well, correct. Yep. What, what did it feel like when you, um, you know, realized that baseball wasn't going to be it? Did you, did that, was that a pretty big hit or what was that all like? Uh,
0: it's a good question. You know, it, it's tough. Um, I think, you know, I have a lot of friends that kind of did the whole thing. A lot of fishing buddies actually that were, you know, better players than I was, but, um, had kind of the same um upbringing and and everybody kind of talks about how it's you just get cut off so quick but i mean fishing for me became you know more important um than sports and so it was a really natural transition to me as soon as all that ended um all i had wanted to do was fish and and become a you know better guide and and uh, um and just take people fishing and it's been a really good thing
1: Nice. Nice. All right. Well, let's, let's dig into a little bit. I think, um, you know, you, you've obviously got a bunch of experience, uh, up in Alaska, uh, you know, a number of different places up there. I, I did, you know, I've had a, a, a few episodes, I guess a couple here talking about Alaska, but I was hoping to dig into a little bit on fishing for rainbows and maybe some other species as we get into it. But, um, maybe you can first, uh, just start us off on, you know, talking about the rainbow fishery up there. And I mean, probably a lot of people have seen the photos of those fish and you know how different they look um, with the spotting and some of those depending on where you're at but can you talk about what, what what that's like and how fishing for rainbows up there is different from fishing for rainbows down the lower 48
0: yeah for sure so i've always said um that rainbow trout in alaska are um you know an entirely different species um seemingly um than the lower 48 um And the cool thing about Alaska that I don't think gets enough credit, um, especially nowadays where we seem to be kind of sweeping under the rug um, what fish are native and what fish aren't native. Um, And so one of the best things about Alaska is, you know, they're all native species, um, which I think is pretty special, and especially this day and age where that's few and far between now, it seems. Um, But the really cool thing about Alaska is people forget how big Alaska is. And so, you know, if you were to, you know, impose it on top of the map of the United States. You know, it's like, I can't remember the exact, it's like a third or a quarter of the United States, something ridiculous. Um, And so you see all these kind of subsect populations of rainbows um, that are vastly different from each other. They look different, they fight different, um, they prefer different flies um, all across the state. And a lot of that is because uh, it's a really big state. And so it'd be like fishing, you know, for trout in oregon and then going over to you know colorado and Mm -hmm. and fishing for trout so it's a huge geographic area um but and one of the cool things about alaska trout is i they seem to react more like brown trout right they're much more aggressive they take really big flies um everything from mouse flies to tiny traditionals um you know they they do it all so it's a really cool
1: so you really, are really catching cool those, you are catching them sometimes fishing with uh, dry flies and small patterns. It's not all the big, um, flesh flies and everything. <clears throat>
0: yeah, for sure. I So I, um, spent six years on connect talk at Alaska West and and we didn't fish, um, traditional dry flies very often. Um, we walked a lot of side channels, um, which is really tiny water kind of breaking through branches, um, to get to a, you know, walk up to a beaver dam, so to speak, or, you know, there's a couple of fish potted up, um, and in those instances, you could throw a dry and, and get them to look up at it, but for the most part, they would take a mouse fly as well, and so, you know, if you can get them to eat a mouse fly, it's yeah. not as interesting to toss in atoms um, in there. We always used to say how cool it was on the connect dock to catch, um, you know, fish on such big flies, but at the same time, it's kind of that New Zealand philosophy, it's pretty cool to catch really big fish on really small flies, too, um, Yeah, and you can do it all in Alaska, which is pretty right. cool.
1: What, in Alaska West, what, what is the Alaska West? That's just um, – is, is that a lodge out there, part of uh, uh, is, or what, what? Can you explain what that is exactly? Or is that a, yeah. a few different rivers?
0: Nope. so it's just one river, um, one lodge on a river. So um, Daniki Outdoors um, is a parent company of a bunch of lodges. So um, they have a lodge on the Dean River in British Columbia called BC West, um, A gig in the Bahamas that I worked at called Andros South Bonefish Lodge. Um, They also own Rapids Camp Lodge um, on the Knack Knack River. And then um, our gig was Alaska West on the Kinectock River, which was a kind of a remote tent camp near the village of Quinnahawk. Kind of a little more towards the coast and a little more north than most Bristol Bay Lodges. A really special river Mm -hmm. uh, for sure.
1: Okay. And what's in the connect talk, what's that river? If you, if you had to quickly describe, um, you know, what it looks like and everything, that area.
0: So it's a, um, it's pretty far from like the big mountainous picturesque thing. I think most people, um, relate to Alaska rivers. Um, there are big mountains, but, um, but they're, you know, a hundred miles away and kind of off in the distance. So it's really, uh, low gradient coastal river, um, really glassy long runs, which lends itself to, um, some really fantastic, you know, swing spay Mm -hmm. opportunities. Um, but it's really kind of a mild river. There's no rapids or, um, very coastal. Okay.
1: Okay. And what, and size wise, are you talking, uh, a hundred feet wide or how big of a river are we talking?
0: Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it depends obviously on the point of the river. Um, but yeah, it's, at its widest, um, you know, a couple hundred feet wide, um, in most, most runs that we would fish, you know, a good spay caster, um, you know, cause that's how we fished a, a lot of the time, um, could pretty much fish the opposite bank or at least get the fly out to it. Um, gotcha. so not a huge river by any means. It's a long river, you know, it's almost a hundred miles. Oh yeah. Um, cool. but, uh,
1: and it's got, yeah, it, but not very wide at all. And it's got all, all the species, everything you, you would want up there.
0: Yep. Yeah, yeah. We, we got, um you know, really impressive runs of King salmon, um, that were really targetable on a fly. And then it gets all five species of salmon, a really big silver run. Um, and then a really cool population of what we would call leopard rainbows. So yep. those, um, rainbow trout with the spots, you know, spots in their eyeballs and their bellies, huh. um, really stunning fish.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, uh, yeah, as we go here, I'll, I'll add some, uh, some pics and, and, uh, photos and things like that in the show notes. Uh, I'll try to find a good one of uh of that. I'm sure you probably have one on your on your blog somewhere right you've uh that's one of the things you you've written uh, we'll get into this a little bit later but I think uh, okay. 1400 <laughs> right over a 1000 blog posts or whatever uh yeah yeah, yeah. But, which There's is quite a few of them yeah <laughs> which is crazy to think because I mean I think about just posting a uh, one episode a week is is, uh, is a cha- can be a challenge but if you're doing five to six uh, blog posts a week I, i'd love to hear you know your, your strategy um on that but yeah let, let's stick sure. with uh, a little bit more on uh you know as far as the river the connect talk and you know i'm i'm in a, you know what what i've been calling the destination and, and diy season where it applies but i think here we might talk a little bit about the lodge experience because i haven't really covered that and alaska west sounds like one of those you know one of those kind of uh, typical kind of great at lodge experiences. Um, but before we jump into that, can you just talk a little bit about, you know, how you catch uh, rainbows out there on the, on that river and what that looks like? And is it easy? Is it pretty much anybody that has never barely fished before can just go up there and, and slam rainbows?
0: Not really, actually surprisingly, uh, not so, so yeah, anybody can go up there and catch fish, which is you know one of the best selling points of Alaska. Right. And, and the, and I've always told people on the sales side of things that if you only have, you know, one trip a year, um, they you can, you know, pour your hard-earned, hard-earned money into. Um, Alaska is so great because if the the weather's punk, something fishes, you know, salmon, at least on the Connect Talk, you know, salmon generally fished really well in the really poor weather. And when the sun was out, you know, the rainbow trout fishing um, ramped up and got really good. Um, but the, as far as the difficulty of the fishery, what was kind of neat on the Connect Talk was um, – trout were kind of the varsity game. So the, you know, the salmon, um, it's like we said, it's not a very wide river. So the salmon are pretty condensed in the area. And generally, if you get a fly in front of a wild salmon, he's probably going to eat it. Hmm. Um, and so I would, I wouldn't put, um, the connect talk as like a blue ribbon trout fishery as far as numbers are concerned. um, um and what you get out of that is kind of a challenging fishery. Um, that's also rewarding. And so you can absolutely, um, you know, row down the river and catch piles of trout. Um, but if you're looking for, you know, a big, you know, if you're upping your quality, um, you can kind of target different positions in the river, um, and, and really hope for that, you know, one or three or five fish in a day that are really special. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, guiding it, um, always really loved that side of it. Um, you know, where I'm at now in Bristol Bay, a lot of these rivers i mean you catch a lot of trout and it's the same situation you know if you're going to go for quality then you can target that um but on the connect talk it was it was more of a challenging game and so we would always get guests you know that would say uh you know because we would always hang out in the evenings and try to figure out what they want to do and and go over the the program for the next day we'd ask them you know what they wanted to target and and often they would say well we're going to take it easy tomorrow i want to fish for trout and i'd have to explain to them like well that's kind of the that's going to be a little more more work, you know, it's a little Mm. more technical and we're going to have to be more focused. Um, you know, we're not just chucking into a pot of silvers and, um, and they're latching on. So, so yeah, Yeah. it's not, it's not as, um, Alaska gets stigma for being, um, you know, the, the easy thing and and good anglers don't want to go there because it's, you know, it's like shooting fish in a barrel, but that's not always the case.
1: And are you picking up fish from, you know, when you're fishing for salmon, in there. Well, I guess there's, it depends, right. If there's so many salmon, you're probably not going to get necessarily get into those uh, some of those bigger rainbows, but what, 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 you know, can you talk a little bit about how you do if you did want to target some of those bigger rainbows, how you might go about trying to do that?
0: Yeah. So, um, the connect talk is, um, you know, every river's different, right. Um, but on the connect talk, you generally target different water. Um, you know, the couchier water, a bigger fish isn't gonna is smart enough and is, big enough that he's not going to fight a lot of current um to stay in whereas a smaller fish might find this little micro pocket that he's comfortable living in um but it's the same the same game as it is in the lower 48 you know you find where they can comfortably be away from predators and they have an easy access to food um and that's generally where your biggest fish um sits and then you just adjust your tactics um based on the time of the year so alaska you know, everything's changing all the time from, you know, early season before the salmon get there. Um, fish are generally, um, hungry coming off the winter. Um, so that's when they most likely were going to take mouse flies, um, you know, big streamers, the really fun ways to fish. Um, a lot of that happens in the early season because they're just so hungry and, and, and ready to eat. Um, and then as soon as salmon start coming in and they start sniffing eggs and, and then once they start dying off and flesh starts coming down there, everything changes. And so, um, to target those fish, you kind of, I always look at it as you don't have to be, you're not matching the hatch so much as you want to be just before the hatch happens. So if you can give that fish kind of the first hint of what's to come, that always seemed to be, um, what pulled the really big guy out of there.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, so basically yeah, it's similar to if you, if you're fishing down in the lower 48 and um, and, and the run and then, and spade, right. Are you now, are you fishing with the, uh, kind of doing the spade game out there for, for rainbows or, or both rainbows and salmon?
0: Yeah. So on the connect our, one of our big, um, draws was our King fishery, um, you know, swinging for Kings because it's such a low gradient river. Um, and it's, it's really easy waiting. It's all just, you know, golf ball size rocks, if not smaller. Um, and it, from, you know, camp all the way down to tidewater where it hits the ocean, um, every run essentially is, you know, stand on the gravel bar and, and chuck a big cast across and make a mend. And it pretty much fishes itself all the way through. Obviously some that fishes a swung fly, um, you know, has a little experience actually fishing a swung fly rather than just letting it rip on through is going to catch more fish, but you're generally in the game, um, just because the water is so good and conducive to swinging flies. Um, and so for Kings, that was super effective and productive and really popular, um, but, yeah, we would we get guests um, that would want to also swing for trout. And as Trout's Bay has evolved um, in this funky little industry, um, there's been a lot more interest for that. And, of course, you know, we as guides would go out and, and swing for trout just because we really enjoy it. Um, there are, you know, other rivers out there that are, um, you know, better Trout's Bay rivers. Um but like I said before about the Connect document, the the fish that you get, um, when you do get one are really stunning. So it's super rewarding. So we always it wouldn't be the tool if you were just a numbers guy, which none of us are, um, you know, but it's a fun way to fish and so we would swing for trout as well. Yeah.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Um well we're gonna dig a a little more into some of the you know, some of the fishing tips and things like that. And I know, you know, obviously on you know, writing for uh, you know, Daniki, you've had, uh, a lot of opportunities to get into the tips and stuff. Can you, yeah. <laughs> you know, talk a little bit about what that was like and, you know, obviously you've written a lot there and, and maybe talk about what some of your most popular or maybe some of the blog posts that you're more, most proud of, you know, that, that are out there.
0: Yeah. So, um, yeah, so the writing, um, kind of, snowballed really fast. So um when I first went up to Alaska West it was just the guide, obviously, and just kinda learning the ropes and was really green um on Alaska fishing and and you know, I've always loved learning. Um and so it was just trying to be a sponge and learn as much as I could and then um had always read the Diniki blog. So um always thought it was really cool. It was kind of the Alaska West was like the Mecca of where I wanted to work for the longest time. Um and then right after my first season in Alaska um, do we needed someone in the Bahamas to kind of be a, you know, host um sort of sort of person, you know, do casting instruction and and that sort of thing at our bone fishing lodge. Um, and then the owner at the time who had started the blog and really kind of built it up to what it what it was yeah. at who the time.
1: Was that? Andrew Bennett. Oh yeah, Andrew Bennett. So he was the guy yep. running the, the blog. So a lot of the blog posts still out there you might read, although a bunch are yours, probably a lot are his. And and are there other are there a bunch of other um people that wrote the blogs?
0: Yeah. So, so Andrew wrote it for, uh, I would say, I think about half the posts that are published now. Um, and then I took it over or he, he, you know, admin the posts. Um, so he wrote most of them, but he also had, you know, he would ask someone to write a post for the blog, that sort of thing. So a lot of contributors along the way. And then, um, I took it over, I think in 2014, and it was the ended, um, like you mentioned the, you know, 1400 or however many posts, um, after that, which was, I think ended up being about half, um, at the time. And then throughout that time, when I was writing it, um, 1400, I think were, um, a, a large majority were, you know, original articles, and that sort of thing, but definitely had a lot of input from a lot of, kind of articles from guides and even guests that would want to write a post or, um, would reach out to some other folks in the industry and, and ask if they wanted to, you know, do a post about sync tips or whatever. So I had a lot of help along the way. Um, for sure. And, and a lot of the posts that I would write myself came from, um, you know, tips that I would hear from, from fellow guides or friends or, um, even clients or just anyone with a good idea that, um, I thought, uh, you know, someone could get value out of, um, anywhere in the world. So. Gotcha.
1: Okay. And, and Andrew, what, um, what do you think is the big thing? Uh, you know, maybe the biggest thing you learned from him or, you know, something, how he influenced you.
0: He was a huge influence um, to me. I think he he kind of taught me really early on how important content was, which nowadays you hear about it all the time. I think he was um, way ahead of the time, though. Um, you know, he kind of caught the the blog age um, in its heyday when when blogs were the Instagram of the of the era. Um, and so, just the idea of creating content at scale and and always bringing value to um, the reader and and what that can really do for your business. And he, I think he had the foresight, which you see a lot now. Um, but back then wasn't so status quo. Um, but just to give all your, you know, your tips and your advice. And, um, it's not easy for a lot of, um, guides or, um, or business owners or anybody to just give your, your stuff away for free. Um, you know, here's how we do this. Here's how right. we fish. Um, did, did because you, it seems like you're giving
1: yeah did, secrets, it, but, um, exactly. Did you yeah. feel like, I mean, was there ever a time when you were, you know, you pull back and didn't, didn't share the the secrets or are they all pretty much, uh, on, on the blog? If you want everything, you know, everything, you, you know, are they all out there?
0: No, we would hold some back and I, and I never, um, when I would ask people to contribute, never wanted anybody to, you know, share the stuff that they felt like was their intellectual property if they didn't want to, that sort of thing. Um. But um and, and we wouldn't always do it real time, right? It wouldn't be like, hey, we're catching, you know, fish on, you know, sculpins right. today, you know, that sort of thing. So that everybody could just go do the same thing on our river, um, but tried to share as much as I could. I've always felt like um, there's so much information out there that if you're not sh- you're sharing it, um, someone else is going to share it. And I think it's it's better for the industry, for us all to you know, not keep secrets and, and lend a hand to folks trying to get started. And I can't tell you how many times people would, um, people have said, you know, that they really appreciate the blog and they're really impressed that, you know, you guys share all your tips and just goes to show that you, you know, are confident and and that you guys are, you know, top of the game. And so people come and fish with us and it just kind of works out in its own, uh,
1: um, you know, way so right. people appreciate it, right? Yeah. Right. So you saw a lot of so just from the the blog itself, you you would see the you know definitely people were it was driving traffic and people clients from from those blog posts. Yeah, yeah, I think it was a, a big part of our kind of marketing efforts. That's right. How did you choose on? How did you uh, decide to go with? Um, I don't know, five or six blog posts a week as opposed to you know one or two or twelve.
0: Uh, basically. So Andrew had, was doing six per week, um, at the time when I first took it over He had, he was doing six for a long time. I think he, I think his, um, strategy was just, he wanted, you know, one, one a day and Sunday was his, uh, day to, you know, get a bunch of content together and breathe. Uh-huh. Um, and, and so that's what, <laughs> that's what he did. And then as soon as I took it over, I just did my best to keep, you know, he, he made it great really. And so I just kind of kept it going and uh, yeah. and so it kept the same model and then over time we, we scaled it back to five at, at one point because we found we do a we did a you know an email newsletter that was just a big mashup of all our posts and um, and so we found out that with a little analytics that the day that the newsletter went out most people read the newsletter and not the the post that was live mm-hmm. um, so by dropping one um, that actually made um, a little more traffic believe it or not so gotcha. one one less post that was able to get our quality of content up a little higher. And then, uh, it actually boosted engagement, which was kind of neat. So then oh. we, then we went to five, you know, for the longest time in the, and the guy that's, um, looking after the blog now, since I left, um, he's as far as I know, still rolling on the, the five deal. Who's that? Uh, his name's Danny Frank.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Yep. He's a, he's a Colorado guy has an outfitter in Colorado and he's, uh, he's taken it over since.
1: Perfect. Perfect. And what is your, if you had to say your, maybe a couple of things, maybe say what is the, you know, the post that you're most uh, proud of. And then maybe you can talk about one that might be the most useful for somebody going for uh, rainbows in Alaska. If you could think of one, I'm not sure. it might be hard out oh, of all of those. Yeah, oh man, there's there's
0: a lot to lot to pull from. I, uh, is there a, is,
1: is there an, organiza- an organization thing? I mean, what would you recommend if somebody say was doing Alaska rainbows? They just go to Daniki and, and Google up, um, you know, rainbows in Alaska. How would you recommend people to find the best resources on on the site?
0: On that site, um, yeah,
1: yeah. So they can yeah they can, yeah
0: they can search they can search around. Um, uh, on the website for sure they can google you know daniki and then just about any sort of topics probably going to come up they can also go to my website i have most of my um original posts so if someone contributed i didn't didn't share links on that um but have a lot of my um, original stuff on my website um and with links so you know you can see kind of broken down my topic and then you click on the link and it'll bring up the original content okay that's an easy
1: way to do it. Gotcha. Yeah. So you have it all. So pretty much, and, and you said you've had, you've got most of those on your site, the links. Yep, correct. Oh wow, yep. that's cool.
0: Yeah, so you can go to like you know rainbow trout or you know trout tips and
1: okay. a oh that's right a bunch of them. Yep. Yeah, you, you have it all. I did. Yeah, I checked uh-huh. your site. You have it all organized pretty well. So that's a good resource. Okay. And, um, and is there one that sticks out as one that maybe was got the most, uh, you know, reads or do you have any idea which one might be the the biggest, most popular post over the years?
0: I had to be honest. that, uh, And I think it's just because it got shared by a lot of friends and, uh, um, clients and that sort of thing. But I, I think probably when I checked the analytics before getting done, um, was I did a little sign-off post just saying thanks for that everybody was reading, or for everybody that read it oh, yeah. along the way and that sort of thing. And I think that was actually probably one of the um, most traffic. There um, you go. Probably thanks to social media or whatever. But but I think the as far as you know, the actual stuff that people read um, for the content, I think the the ones that actually picked up the most traction, oddly enough, were like the really short, simple tips. Um, a lot of gear hacks. So simple mm. things like you know, making, um, sunglass lanyards out of fly line or sunglass, oh, yeah. you know, retainers out yep. of flying line, little hacks like that. How, how, or, do, you, um,
1: how do you do that? What, what's the tip there? Is there a special knot or how do you basically do Basically a nail knot. So you just make a,
0: um, I have a little video somewhere in there. It's also on my Instagram, but you, you can make a nail knot without a tool. Um, and so just by looping the fly line back around and so just basically make two pieces of fly line and nail knot it to one side of the sunglass uh, or one side of the ear piece and then do the same on the other side and then you can either make like a you know a slip knot so that you can kind of adjust it or you can just blood knot them together and in a pinch it works good so you don't lose your sunglasses in the drink
1: yeah that's a that's a good tip I'll put a link to that in the show notes for sure that's a good one any other any other good uh, quick tips out there for uh, I guess maybe we could just talk about you know just fish in Alaska any other things that come to your mind or, or other blog posts that were popular?
0: Um, other blog posts that are popular. We used to do a lot of, um, like rigging, like expert rigging tips. So we would do a, you know, such and such a person and what they would fish for, um, for Kings. I just did something similar for hatch for, um, rainbow trout of all things, um, which Mm -hmm. is relevant to the conversation. Um, I basically just a rundown of everything you use from the backing and the knots um, all the way through the fly line and leader and fly rod reel, the whole setup. Oh, so you go um, through,
1: you walk through step-by-step step in a blog post, just all the, you know, what you need to fish for rainbows in Alaska.
0: Yep. Or what so-and-so would prefer. So you kind of see what rod they use and uh, why. Okay. And, and, uh, yep. Those are always really popular.
1: Can you run down that, you know, maybe do a summary of, of that, you know, that post or just what they might need to get ready for this? for rainbows. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So if my personal rig is that, is that you're asking for the,
1: yeah. Yeah. Just your whole, maybe just go from the rod reel line, a leader. Um, yeah, just kind of quick little summary. Yeah, totally. So,
0: yeah, so, um, I'm a huge advocate for a seven weight in Alaska when it comes to trout. So, um, you know, you always use split shot or, or really heavy streamers, or wind-resistant mouse patterns. Um, so there's a lot of reason where a little backbone can help. Um, a lot of people bring a five or a six weight and, and are generally a little undergunned, especially with a five. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a big fan of a seven weight. Um, up here I fish a G Loomis IMX Pro um, 790-4, um, which is a um, a super super good rod, super good mm-hmm. price, um, but it's actually one of my favorites. Um, and then I pair it with a Hatch Fanatic 5 Plus, which, um, it's kind of counterintuitive, but a, a 5 Plus hatch actually matches up pretty good with a 7 weight as far as the balance goes. Um, it feels really light in hand. So I've always liked that. Um, and then I rig all my reels with Hatch, that Hatch premium backing, um, because it's thin, but it's, you know, it's just, it's a little thinner than 20 pound Dacron, but it's, I think, 60 right eight pound test or so it's almost 70 pound test um which in alaska is really cool because you never know when a king is going to hop on um, they do eat trout flies at times um or a chum or you foul hook a sockeye or something by accident um so that extra backing can be a big help um you know the trout's probably not going to pull deep into it um although they do it at times you know in some mm-hmm. some fisheries um but it's nice to have that you know that stout backing on there and then for um depending on how you know i'm fishing um i like to build my own leaders so i'll we'll use you know hatch uh, uh, mono or sometimes maxima um, usually from about 20 sometimes 25 um, down to 12 pound and just kind of build a leader in usually about two foot sections mm-hmm. and then uh adjust the tip accordingly usually I fish 2x um fluorocarbon for the majority of of fishing in alaska until they until they make me go down to, you know, three or four X. Um, yeah, I'll stay at, stay at two. Yeah.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and then, yeah, like you said, you might be using a mouse pattern, weight, um, split shot. And it, it, typically are you guys doing more swinging or more, I mean, and are you doing the bead thing and all that stuff? Can you talk a little bit about the different techniques that might be used?
0: Yes, yeah, so we do it all. Um, and it's, uh, changes per, you know, per time of year. For when sure. is the best um, time?
1: What would you say if you had to pick one time a year to go down there to, to hit the the rainbows? When would that be? Um, pro-
0: it depends on the style of fishing that you like. And so, and that's not being uh, salesy as anybody swing, that
1: works. If you wanted to swing up some.
0: Swing flies. So you probably go um, either early because they're pretty hungry and they start to pile up, especially like in Bristol Bay right now. Um, you know, they pile up in a lot of Little micro rivers between lakes, which is a lot of the fisheries in Bristol Bay. And so that makes a really good um, scenario where you can oh. swing or
1: fly through a lot of fish. Gotcha. So this um, is like a June. June is early. Yep.
0: June. Yeah. Like mid June to, you know, first couple weeks of July. So pretty much yep. right, and right it, now, you know,
1: right now would be a, a great time to hit it.
0: For sure. And, yeah. um, and then a lot of the bigger rivers, um, like the Queege or the Knack Neck, where you see those really big um, chrome steelhead looking rainbows, um, a lot that can be going off right now, but the prime time for that's in the fall. Um, so usually like, you know, late September and October, a lot of those fish are actually, you know, backing out of the lake um, and moving into those river systems. And so they become super targetable on a on a swung fly. Um, and it's kind of a similar phenomenon to the, I think in the in the springtime, you know, those fish are super hungry. They're coming in the shallows, so they're really easy to target. And then in the back end of the season, I think they feel that, You know, the winter's coming, they're, you know, really hungry. And, and, uh, so they kind of rainbow trout kind of do that progression. They, they eat just about anything in the spring. They kind of see, um, flesh and eggs coming down. So they get really particular about that, um, at times, um, during kind of the summer and August and September. And then, um, as September starts petering out and, and into October, um they kind of get back onto they're not so picky anymore, they're gonna eat anything that's in its way. Right before so,
1: yeah, before things get cold and yeah. shut down a little bit. That's cool. Okay. But, and, but yeah, go ahead. Oh, but because um so a lot of people see that early
0: and late season in Alaska is like the only time to to go for trout. one cool thing about, you know, August and um kind of that middle area, um, you know, especially towards the end of August, you know, those fish compared to the, the fish in the spring are also putting on a lot more weight. So if you want to you know, if you want to target bigger fish, um, rather than maybe catching more fish early season, you know, you might actually, you know, lock up to a few lifetime fish, you know, later on.
1: So. Oh, okay.
0: So yeah, there's a good be. time to fish for them just about the whole season. So, I see.
1: okay, <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, maybe you could talk a little bit about, um, you know, and I'm not even sure if there is a potential down there at the, uh, you know, Alaska West in that area to, to kind of go and do it on your own, but maybe you could talk a little bit about just the lodge experience you know, what, what, for somebody that hasn't done it before, you know, what that's like, and I guess we could just use the Alaska West since that's kind of what we're talking about here. You know, what, what is somebody, maybe talk first about, you know, what they should do to prepare for a trip like that. And then, uh, and then also just what, what the whole thing is like, is this, uh, you know, you got, um, jacuzzis all over the place and, you know, set, kind of fine dining or, or what is that whole thing like? Uh, not so at
0: Alaska West was very, um, very not, jacuzzis and wine and dining yeah. um so it it's a we call it, we used to call it a tent lodge um and so it's a you know, everybody stays in weatherport tents um in the you know the weatherport tents for the guests are nice um you know clean tents with two you know normal beds you know twin beds and a little heater and a little closet organizer um so you know you're roughing it but it's you know it's pretty cushy yeah, um, and then the glamping. you know the lounge. This is the glamping. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly right. Yep, and the guide quarters are our typical guide quarters. They're way they're way right. less nice, um, which also oh, really? makes it. But well, what is for, that? What is way less nice?
1: So you're in a a small tent, kind of there without a heater, or what's what, what's? No, no,
0: you got a heater. It's, They're just um, you know they're older tents, and they're usually you know two to a tent, two or three guides to a tent, and guides and uh, me included are generally not. Um, Super uh, worried about pretty things or yeah. I was say, what, what is that like? like that, what is that so? like when you're
1: uh, <laughs> when you're in a tent for? Uh, I mean, I guess you're out there for four or five months at a time, or, or how long are you out there in the tent with these two 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 guys? Kind of doing. At
0: Alaska has its shorter season, so it's only like a three months. Um,
1: okay, yeah, so three Three months. What's that? What's that feel like for somebody who's never been in a in a guide tent for three months with a couple other guides that maybe aren't totally hygienic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah it depends the person it stinks if that's what you're getting at yeah, yeah it's it's uh it doesn't smell good that's for sure yeah um yeah but it's fun it's it's um you know all the furniture uh you know in the tents are generally kind of bush carpentry so that, you know we build them out of uh-huh. you know whatever plywood's left and and so everybody kind of it's like going to college and kind of setting up your dorm room you know what i mean it, right. it's uh or, you know boy scout camp it kind of um, which is a kind of a fun part of it all. You know, you kind of make a little home for the summer and then, um, you know, you pack it up and all the, you know, at that camp, all of our stuff would get packed away for the summer. So we take it all apart, um, and build it the next year again. And, oh yeah, just keep doing the same thing every season. Yeah.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. So you're, yeah, you're putting this down. This is out on just a remote river on the river and you're in the location. Are there other, I mean, I guess there's other guides and things like that, you know, folks around the area. What, it, what is that like? Is there other pressure and people coming in and, and is this a fly-in uh, sort of deal?
0: No, it's a, so we were only like five miles or so from a native village called Quinnahawk that has an airstrip. Oh, so, okay. um, and this program, we'd fly into the village and then take our boats, you know, five, six miles up river, um, to where the camp is. Um, but as far as traffic, yeah, there's two other gigs on the, um, on the river, which, which brings some traffic as long as well as the you know, people that live in the village, you know, they're ripping around the river once in a while. And, um, and there are some people that float it, you know, occasionally. So there's some traffic for sure. I mean, nowadays, you know, there's, it's really hard to find remote, um, rivers that nobody knows about, right? There, there are a few and fewer and fewer secrets every year. Yeah. Um, it's still, um, incredible fishing and the fishing kind of sustains all that pressure well. Um, but, but it's definitely not, um they're not alone out there. That's for sure.
1: I see. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I mean, I think we've kind of covered, uh, you know, a little bit of the experience there. And, you know, like you said, I mean, if you want that type of experience with a, which is cool, I mean, that's a kind of a remote, uh, not necessarily a lodge, like a full on, you know, buildings, but tent. I and mean, it seems like a great experience. What, what would be the, you know, have you worked in some places where the opposite? You know, end where you've got the full extreme. You know, you do have the jacuzzis and and that whole thing. And is that quite a bit? Is that experience a lot different?
0: Yeah. So, um, so in January this year, so I just you know finished up with the Nikki, and so this is the first year um, that I'm not going back to Alaska West this summer, um, and took a job as the marketing marketing director for um, a company we're kind of rebranding right now as Bristol Adventures, um, but that owns. Um, Kulik Lodge which is actually one of the first, if not the first, um, flyout lodge in Alaska. Um, and they're kind of the, the next level up, um, from, say, that tent lodge. So, you know, really nice cabins that we just, you know, renovated, um, new cabins. So every guest, you know, has a cabin. And then the guide quarters are, are still guide quarters, but they're, you know, a, a structure as opposed to a tent. Um, but it just, it does have an outdoor jacuzzi. Um, but it's, um, it's not like a wine and dine place. And so I really relate to it because it's a very similar program to Alaska West as far as the vibe and, and, uh, you know, the, how, um, the quality of fishermen that comes through there and that sort of thing. Um, and then we also have another gig that I've, um, I'm scheduled to get out there too, but haven't been out there yet. Um, but called mission lodge is another historic lodge in Alaska. And that's very much. So the, the wine and dine, like you put it, um, mm-hmm. you know, with the, with the, you know, jacuzzi and sauna or whatever and, and a really fancy lodge and, and uh you know really high-end accommodations and so it's 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 cool to see all the different levels of service right um, because yeah. you attract different levels of customers um and you don't compete against each other and you can kind of as you know as of now um you know we're able to you know if someone calls up and wants to go fishing we can kind of place them you know by their interest which is a there you go it's pretty it, cool
1: it sounds a little like um uh, Jim Klug with uh, Yellow Dog, who um, I'm trying to think now if I've, uh, I think that one's coming up here in a little bit. I actually uh, talked to him and uh, let's see here. Yeah, that'll be out in, uh, I guess, probably next month. But um, but yeah, he was talking about uh, kind of the same thing, how that that's really cool, how they can find the right lodge and you know, just, well, whether it's a lot or just experience for the person where you can chat with them and see exactly what they want. It sounds like that's with your new gig. That's, that's kind of what you guys are going for. Somebody comes in and, and I think you actually mentioned, I, I think, uh, you also even do with this new company, even non, not even tri- fly fishing trips, right. Do you guys do other things?
0: Yeah, we do some, um, yeah, we do some conventional stuff. So if guys, if guys want to come, you know, and fish a spinning rod and that sort of thing, as long as it's, you know, legal within the, you know, the fisheries that we're going to fish, um, you know, they're more than welcome to do that. we do some King salmon fishing on the Nishigak that, um, you know, that's, uh, primarily like a, you know, conventional gear sort of thing. Cause it's such a huge river. There are some guys that um, have some success swinging flies, but it's a massive, um, ditch. And so you're, you know, you're straining a lot of water to find them. Um, and so most, um, even pretty fly centric, um, gigs, um, still will bounce gear down through the, through the notion. Um, mm. and so we'll do that. And then, um, there's a small, uh, part of our clientele that, um, is really just into getting out and seeing, you know, Bristol Bay. we're so three of our lodges are within Katmai national park, which is super stunning. Um, part of Alaska, part of the world. Um, and so they just like getting out there and, and driving around on the boats and seeing bears and that sort of thing. Um, so they do some of that. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of people obviously fish some, but might not be, um, you know, fishing might not be their entire life, like it is for some of us. Um, so they just get out there and fish a little bit, but like to see the sights, um, fly around in airplanes and look at volcanoes and all that stuff. So yeah, I do plenty, but it's definitely, it depends on the gig. You know, some of our gigs are more um, hardcore fishing and some of them, you know, tailors to a bunch of different interests.
1: Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just kind of looking at a map here of uh, Katmai National Park, which is, um, you know, and, and, where is that in relation to the, uh, the Alaska West stuff we're talking about, the connect talk.
0: So Katmai um, uh, sir, so if you can see Katmai, so, um, Alaska West pretty much due West, um, and a little, just a hair North, um, on the West coast of Alaska. Oh, so, okay. um, Katmai is technically, you know, the Bristol Bay watershed. So Katmai National Park is kind of an interior, um, and then goes, extends out to the coast, um, to the East. Um, but it kind of is, um, defined as part of, you know, all the fish that come through Bristol Bay, all kind of make their way up into that watershed. And then, um, Alaska West is kind of on the other side of the, I believe the Kuskokwim mountains. Um, yeah, I and mean, empties oh. out into Kuskokwim Bay. And so it's kind of just North that next Bay to the North. Yeah, um, I
1: gotcha. That's what I was yeah. wondering. I've actually spent a little time up on the Queeflook in that area out of Bethel. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I know. So, yeah. so basically from the, um, from the Queeflic it'd be just, um, just in that area kind of North of there, the Yukon. Yeah, Delta. pretty much.
0: I mean, yeah. We'd always, we'd always fly out of Bethel. Um, oh, yeah. you know, it's only like a 30 minute flight maybe.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, we, uh, from Bethel. And the thing, one of the things I mean, I, I, remembered about that at least that one trip was, um, you know, there's a lot of water bodies and, and I mean, I didn't, I didn't go a day without wearing a a net on my head and my, I didn't have any of my skin exposed. I mean, is that, I guess that's an early thing or is that something that your, your clients are are dealing with?
0: There's always bugs. Yep. So everybody asks, everybody always wants to know when's the, um, the best time to come, you know, when there aren't bugs. Um, and there can always be bugs, but July is generally the the best time. It's the warmest month. So it, um, warmest and usually the driest, um,
1: which is a grain
0: of salt. Obviously they yeah, so asked on that. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. So but but there's seasons of the bugs. So in June, um or if you're there in May, um, which most lodges aren't open then, but it can be hellish um for bugs. Um that's mosquito time usually, and then white socks, yep. usually which are like black flies, usually come out um slightly after, if not at the same time. Um those kind of beat you up for you know the front half of the season and then um <laughs> white socks can kind of come in and out and mosquitoes are you know there um sometimes further in the season but then once you get into the back end of the season it's usually no CMs really bump people out the most
1: <laughs> that's right
0: and they're, they're like a little almost like a
1: in Bahamas
0: we used to call them sand fleas but they're similar bug yeah
1: no CMs are and
0: yet. some people are you know they some people have you know worse reactions <laughs> or are bothered by them more than others um, I've never had a never bothered me much um from May, I'm from Maine right so um, some of the bugs there I think are worse than in Alaska Alaska definitely gets the uh reputation. For yeah.
1: the, well, the it pot. depends. It depends on your blood type too. We were just out actually at a local river, uh, you know, and my daughter, she's, I think we I don't even know, I guess she's got a different blood, blood type, but I didn't get hit at all by mosquitoes and her face was like swollen up from sleeping out outside.
0: And yeah, we, you know, we've had guides that, you know, they'll get, um, they get bit by a white sock and their, you know, whole ankle swells up. Oh, wow. So they're, you know, can hardly take their socks off. Um, Jeez. at the same time, you know, I, I don't think I've worked bug spray in you know, four seasons up there, um, because it, they just don't seem to bother my blood type. Um, like you said okay, as so much. So yeah, it's definitely super personal. So you guys go,
1: you guys go with the, uh, the bug spray as opposed to the, the face, the, the nets and all that stuff.
0: Some of our guys use, use the nets, um, especially um, when working around camp, you know, there are usually there's some like slacky water and kind of swampy water, um, in the back of camp. So when we're, when we're setting up camp or whatever, um, Headnets are a big thing, but you know, there's, th- there's always the, the macho side of it. Some guys don't wear them because they don't want to be you know, yeah. <laughs> show that
1: they're, they'd rather put on some nasty uh, chemical right onto their or right. that stuff. Deet, right? Deet is the, yeah. Yeah.
0: Personally, I can't stand the, the headnet in my vision. Um, oh, yeah. so I don't wear one, but I always would have two, um, in my boat, uh, for guests if they, if they prefer them because there's, there there's no, no use being miserable for no reason.
1: So nice, nice. <laughs> Okay, cool. Well, let's, uh, let's jump in. I had a couple more questions just on some tips. And, um, and I know since you're a, a fly casting instructor, you've been through that process. I know that's uh, not an easy thing to get through. What do you think, you know, when you get people up there, I guess you've had all sorts of beginners and experienced anglers, but is there a, a tip, a casting tip or a common struggle that you see with, with people come up there with or something maybe you might provide here that can help people become better at casting?
0: Uh, sure. So, um, for, so for a tip for alaska um because you're not casting very friendly flies you know it's it's rare you know you do get like we were talking about before you do get those opportunities to fish you know dries and light fry patterns and things like that that are more like what you would fish um, in the lower 48 you know traditional fly fishing um you have those opportunities but for the most part you're you're fishing some pretty ugly setups um you know split shot and in really big flies and mm stuff that the wind just wants to throw right back in your direction. And where's the so, split
1: shot going? Where's the split shot going? Is this just typical? You're putting it 12 to you know 18 inches above your fly sort of thing?
0: Yeah. Yep. Usually just standard nymph rig, So yeah. um, we always call it, you know, flesh or bead fishing. All it is is nymphing. It's just a, you know, egg pattern or a, you know, flesh fly instead of a swing. john. Or and you're whatever. kind
1: of swinging those flesh flies with, with weight on?
0: No, flesh is generally, yeah. you can, you can, we will swing flesh patterns on a spare rod just to, you know, try to catch fish on the swing. Um, but generally, um, if you're trying to really catch a lot of fish, um, dead you're dead drifting. drifting this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. trying to look like a natural piece of flesh, just bumping down the water. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah. for, for a casting tip, um, most people come up there and they, um, from my experience and they try to cast like they would with a virtually weightless fly, um, which you know, creates a really tight loop, um, and usually ends up causing tailing loose because the rig is so heavy. Um, you have to open up that loop a lot more in order to get it in the water, um, without fouling. Right. Um, so a standard, you know, they call it a Belgian cast or an elliptical cast. It's a, it's a huge tool for the salt water. Um, when you have, you know, wind blowing on your dominant shoulder and you're trying not to get the fly in the ear. Um, but basically, um, you know, Making your back cast low, like a sidearm plane, um, and then coming over the top on your forward cast. So you can kind of, you're kind of making a big circle. Um, by definition, it's a you know, continuous motion cast. And so you never really have to pause on the back cast. You just kind of roll it back and over the top. Yep. Um, and that's a great way to get all that heavy junk out in the water um, safely um, right. without fouling up. Do you and, you ever-
1: do you ever do any like, uh, that is a great, that's a great tip. Do you ever do any where, you know, I don't even know what it's called, but where you come in the back cast and you let it touch the back, the water behind you just for a second or on the side, and then use that as your leverage to shoot it. Totally. Out?
0: Yeah. For like in, in like a water load. Yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah, that's a super good tool if you're, um, floating and you have water behind you, you know, sometimes, um, if you're fishing, you know, on foot, you don't always have that, All right. Um, that water behind you to load against. But if, yeah, if you're, if you're drifting, like, you know, we, most Alaska guides will have oars mounted on their jet boat so that they can row just like a drift boat. Um, In those instances, yeah, absolutely. You just kind of flip it over and use that water tension to load the rod and then just flip it back in the game. I think one of the best tips um, in all arenas of fly fishing, um, at least in moving water, um, maybe not so much in sight fishing, but keeping your fly in the water as long as possible and actually fishing for the maximum amount of time throughout the day, um, obviously relates to more opportunities to catch fish. So anything you can do to maximize the time your fly actually spends in the water and not above it, um, over time, you know, over days and weeks and years will relate to more, more fish caught. Um, so something like a water load where you're not false casting, you know, two, three, a hundred times in the air, um, just being able to flip it back and get it back in the game that will, um, translate to more fish in the long run.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Those are, that's a definitely a good tip on the casting because that, yeah, it's it's never easy casting with a bunch of weight and, and our guys, so it sounds like mostly it's still a, a nine foot kind of t- traditional seven weight rod, but you, you said there is a little bit of space. Is it kind of a, you know, 10% of the guys are kind of up there spay casting or is that b- becoming a bigger thing? And, and what would you recommend for the rods to bring? If somebody's going up there to say in June, mid June um, to early July, what, what rods should they bring up there? For spay rods? Uh, yeah. For maybe spay or both, you know, what would you recommend uh, to a guy that yeah, may, so, maybe does a little bit of spay and, and traditional or should he choose? Yeah, So
0: for totally, I, I recommend bringing both. Yeah. I would never, um, you know, suggest pigeonholing yourself into one, one method. Cause you never know. Um, especially if you enjoy uh, spay casting or, you know, fishing a swung fly, um, then it's, it's definitely worth bringing up, you know, a rod takes up a very little amount of space. Um, in the grand scheme of things. So, um, for a single hander, um, you know, seven weight is King. Um, you know, there's a lot of great seven weights on the market. I think, um, something not super, super fast, um, is best because, because you're going to be, oftentimes going to be thrown shorter casts, Mm -hmm. um, with, you know, difficult flies. It's nice to have a little softer tip to be able to load that in close.
1: Would glass, Um, would glass be a good rod to bring up there? Do you see much glass?
0: We see some, I, I would say it wouldn't be the best rod to bring up, but it's fun. So, um, I definitely enjoy fishing glass. And so it's, um, I understand the fun factor side of it. Um, but like, like I was saying before, I use that IMX pro it's a Fast rod by all standards. It's just um, you know not quite as as fast as like what I would use on the flats, you know, for bonefish or whatever. Yeah. Um, which is one reason I like it. Um, but then to answer your question on on the space side of things, um, I a lot of there's a lot of different theories. So a lot of people like um, if they're going to be say swinging for trout, um, they like a smaller spay rod because they like playing that trout on a smaller rod. You know, just like the fiberglass because of the fun factor. Um, personally, I think the best thing about, um, spay fishing is that tight line grab, um, because your fly is always under tension. The moment the fish hits the fly, it's that electric grab, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we all, um, all love about it. And so because of that, I don't put too much, um, thought into, um, you know, a lighter rod so that I can feel the fish load the rod. I want to know that if, you know, there's that really special fish that hops on, I have the backbone to land them or because there's so many other critters, swimming around alaska that might also eat the same fly um it's nice to have a little more backbone to play a fish um that hops on you're not expecting you know whether that's a you know king or a steelhead or you know depending where you're fishing Uh, and so i like a like a you know seven weight um or a real stout six um you know uh shorter spay or or uh switch rod i personally i like rods kind of like that sub 12 foot um that's why i like that imx pro it's 11 11 um, but I like it in that range because it's a good happy medium um, between it cast. You know, it can cast as far as you'd ever need to, um, but you can still fish it in tight quarters and but still mend and, and fish it well. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas a switch rod, you can get in real tight, but you don't. It's more difficult to control your fly with a oh, shorter rod. Like and that, that
1: so. G Loomis, the IMX Pro you're talking about, is the, is that a spay or a single hand rod?
0: both so so yeah. one is a they have a series of single handers in spay um, gotcha. and if i fish both of them in alaska yeah okay yeah.
1: and uh and what was it so the this nine foot seven weight is that the rod the traditional rod you'd have you go with there
0: yep yeah for sure some people like a like a nine and a half or a 10 if they're going to be 10 footer um if they're going to be you know boat fishing a lot of the fishing like around anchored like down towards the kenai and and those areas people love the 10 foot rod um personally i like i i such a casting geek I like the standard nine foot it's what I've always used Yeah, is there Um, a
1: difference in casting between a nine and a ten uh is is one easier than the other
0: um it it just it's all about getting used to so the longer the lever right the more so the more influence you have in your hand the more the more movement you have in your hand the more influence there is at the tip the longer it gets right because it's a big fulcrum um So it's just a matter of getting used to the rod. Obviously a a longer rod gets a little heavier. Um, To me, I I feel like it's, um, I'm trying to make, you know, nice casts with, with tight loops. Um, it just feels like more work, um, to me. So I'd like that, that nine footer, but, um, but I know guys that swear by like that extra six inches, um,
1: you know, so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and, and uh, just on rough, uh, on, on cost there. So that IMX pro nine, nine foot, say seven way, what, what is just rough ballpark on cost for that rod? Don't
0: quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure it's four ninety five okay. retail. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then more the, the, the spay rods. Yep. Yeah. And the spay rods five seventy five. and, and, uh, not trying to be, you know, a salesperson. I do think it's the best, um, just having a long, in-depth conversation last night at the fly shop about yeah. this, but I do think it's probably the best deal on the market. It's it's a super durable rod. I mean, all rods break, um, yeah. can break, um, but they're super super tough. I'm not really sure how they uh, how they made it so inexpensive, to be honest, because right. it fishes just as good as rods that I fish that are a thousand dollars, you know. Yep. So,
1: yeah. That's
0: cool. Yeah, it's yeah, a killer.
1: That, that's awesome. Okay, and uh, and also on the the cost difference. Just getting, I was just thinking about this earlier on the lodges. So, what's the difference? So, you got the high end. I guess you're talking about your Bristol base, Some of the stuff you get, you guys have now that high end with the jacuzzis. You know, say a seven day trip for that versus the the Alaska West tent camp. Um, is there a big difference in cost there? Or is it is that a different deal?
0: Um, generally, so um, I think uh, at the time Alaska West. You know, the last time I worked for him, I think it was in that, I think say sixty-three, ninety, you know, sixty-five hundred-ish. And then you have a charter to get out. So you know, you're probably getting out there for seven grand or so. Yeah. Um, our our gig, um, that's probably most similar, but but higher amenities, which would be Kulik Lodge. Um, then we're for now, you know, that's that's actually a a cheaper trip. Um, but um, the way we break it down is, you know, there's a trip price because we have really good home waters, um, on the Kulik river that you could, you could just go to the lodge and fish right there in the, there's a short little river that you're going to catch a pile of fish, especially trout. Um, okay. some of the best trout fishing. You mean just, going out there, just go there without a guide sort of thing? Do you would go to the, just the no, lodge. they guide it, oh. but you can, well, you can fish it in the evenings by yourself too, which is a huge selling point to that operation. Um, but so you can fish on site, but we also, um, part of our, parent company owns a flight service called cat air. So it has a whole fleet of airplanes. Um, and so, you know, it's a flyout gig. And so the way we structure it is there's a trip price, um, which is, you know, similar to like the former gig at Alaska West, but you can add on flyouts. Um, oh, okay. and so, which is pretty, pretty cool. Um, little deal to have, because if, you know, if you can only afford so much, you can still come up to Alaska and have a great trip. Or, um, if you don't want to fly out, you don't have to, um, and, but you don't have to pay for it. And, um, but then the other Lodge, you know, Mission Lodge, um, that's an all-inclusive deal. So that's substantially more expensive, like in that $10,000 range, mm-hmm. um, yep. which is most, which is pretty standard for that that level of, that level, of right. Lodge in, in Alaska. yeah.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of different options. And, and are there people sure. up there that are, say, going to um, – uh, well, I guess we can bring it back to the Connect talk in that area. Are people kind of going up there doing the DIY thing? Do you, do you see people coming in there that – I mean, I guess it's a, probably a few amount, but do you, you ever see that?
0: No, there's, there's a decent amount actually. Yeah. It, it, it receives a decent amount of pressure of DIY guys. It's a, it's a difficult one to DIY. So, um, you know, most of the operations, um, are kind of in the lower stretches of that river, you know, like the bottom 20 miles or so. And there's one that's, um, further up than that. But, um, and so that's where a lot of the, you know, the fishing is probably the, let's say like the, half, you know, from 50 miles down is probably where, um, the fishiest part of the river. Um, but to access that, you know, you have to, you have to have a jet boat, um, and have to understand how to run rivers and that sort of thing. So it's not a very easy DIY trip, but, Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of, there's several outfitters and I would forget most of their names, um, right now, but they run, you know, um, they'll fly into the, to the headwaters, um, with rafts and outfit you and, and you can do the float and oh, it's a, cool. uh, yep. you know, I think it takes most people like, you know, 10 days. I've heard of people doing it in seven that just, you know, really pushed through with kayaks, yeah. but it's, I think it's more of a nine Ten. to 11 day exactly. trip. Two, um, two
1: weeks would be awesome.
0: Yeah. yeah so there's a lot of, a lot of folks that do that and come down and, cool. and all rave about it. It's a, it's a little burly of a trip from what I understand. You kind of got a lot of braids up top that you got to, Sure. Make sure you guess right on or cut through if you're <laughs> right. early, you know, that sort of
1: thing. But that's right. That sounds, uh, yeah, it sounds like the, that's a the cool thing about Alaska is that you can do everything, you know, you could do that trip if you're into it, which would be awesome. But also the, the, the lodge with all amenities would be awesome as well. It's, it seems like it, it's kind of got, yeah, it's got both. And is that the way we're sure. not going to dig into too much into the, um, you know, some of the saltwater stuff or whatever that, that you've done, but is it I guess a, a little more challenging than or wh- which one would you say is more challenging to put together a uh you know a, a DIY trip?
0: Um, I would say the um it depends what you're looking for. Yeah. Um so Alaska logistically I would say is more challenging. Um just because, you know, you're organizing, you know, bush planes and right. all the gear and you have to deal with bears oh, and yeah. um so there's a lot of gear that goes along with that. Um just to do it safe, you know yeah. what I mean. Um, yep. There's a lot of planning that goes into it, and 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 the salt. I mean, there you know, there's a lot of salt, um, yeah. obviously. Um, but uh, you know, just take bonefish for example. There are a lot of um, DIY bonefish spots that um, it's as easy as you know, getting a hotel pseudo lodge um, type place, getting a room essentially, and getting a rental car and driving the That's road it. system to some flats, and then walking yep. around. Um, where I was in the Bahamas on South Andros. Um, guys do that. Um, occasionally we'd see a few of them. Um, and we had a few flats, um, on our side of the Island that we could get out to on foot and and generally do really well. Um, but only during a certain window of the month because of the tides. Um, but the most of the fishery is a extremely difficult, um, you know, area to navigate. And so, you know, our guides that are in it for 30 years, are the guys that captain those, um, trips. And so, you know, you can't just get a boat, get a skiff, and go rip around in there because no. there's no nav aids or anything like that. So, that type of fishery would probably be just as challenging, um, you know, in a lot that's of right. ways. But I would say probably the planning aspect in Alaska is is pretty top tier um,
1: logistics. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, no, that's a that's a great point because uh, yeah, it, it takes a lot more and. Yeah. The saltwater stuff, it might be tough to get out to some of those places, but like you said, if you can find a beach and, uh, you know, I recently uh, talked to uh, uh, Ray Montoya who actually has been fishing in Yemen in that part of kind of the middle, the middle East for, I think like 20 years. And, you know, he pretty much, he's got some photos out there. You could Google it up, but you know, his cot's on the beach on some random beach, his trucks right next to him. He's just waking up and going out fishing in, in the middle East. So that it sounds like paradise. Exactly. That's what I know that's what I told him. I was like, "Jesus, this this sounds like sounds like an amazing place to go." So, uh so yeah, you have to listen to that that episode when it comes out. But um <laughs> we'll do. So, yeah, let's uh wrap this thing up. I got a just a little rapid fire round if you got a few more minutes here um sure. to jump into this. So, uh I, I kind of like to start this off with the the 222, two, two, which is the top 2 uh flies, top 2 tips and top 2 resources and we can just keep it on that. Alaska, you know, rainbow, Alaska West sort of thing. So do you have a couple of flies? And I guess, you know, you talked about mousing and flesh flies and everything else, but if you had to pick two, what, what would you do?
0: I would go, um, I'll always fish a mouse because it's, it's hard to beat the fun factor of a mouse. Yeah. Um, and the Mr. Hankey is, is one that we've fished for years and years and years. And yep. that's, um, one of Jeff Hickman's patterns who guided Alaska West before my time. I think he got done the year before I did, but so there's some history there. So it's always kind of neat to fish. And I tie some um, of my own a little bit different to make them smaller and, and a little bit, uh, just a little bit different how I like to fish them. Um, So that would be one of them. Um, And then shoot in Alaska, anybody I've guided with knows that I've, I'm obsessed with flesh flies for some reason um, just because, uh, I think it's really cool those big beautiful trout eat really big ugly pieces of flesh yeah. um, and so I think that's pretty neat and that's I carry with, carry them with me even this time of year when it's generally not the fly to fish um, and have a few different you know types of patterns that have ridiculous names and all that
1: stuff yeah but, um, is that just, just a, flies in general. Yeah. is that just a um, a piece of uh, a, a white rabbit strip tied on a fly with a, a little flash or is that pretty much it or and, and do you have one name of a, of a fly that, that might uh, that's that we could look at?
0: um it can be i think I, I tie um majority of my flesh flies so they're not really named um but oh, okay. they're um they can be as simple as like a white uh or just kind of a we they always call it like dirty sock and like yeah. a grayish um, yeah. bunny but i tend to get a little more nerdy into it um there's some great patterns out there like called the happy meal or aqua flies has a great um um articulated flesh fly um that's a really good fly but um you know generally yeah. they have like some beads in there to make it look like a little you know, chunk of eggs and flesh oh, and right. um, a lot of them get pretty fancy. You know, they have, you know, a bunny tail and then collared with a different color. That's kind of a peachy color. And then like a, you know, a marabou collar to make it look real stringy. Uh, yeah. There's some art to it for sure, even though it's an ugly thing. Are, are they weighted? <laughs> yep. Generally. Yep. Not all of them. Sometimes, you know, you'll fish split shot to get them down, but um, some will have dumbbell eyes. Some will have lead wraps under the body. Yeah. yep. Cause you want it down there
1: for sure. You want it down. You get it then. Yeah. You want it down yeah. close to the bottom. Okay. And what about, uh, you, you mentioned a few tips already, but do you have a few, you know, tips for fishing Alaska? If we're, you know, I guess we can keep it on the rainbow just generally, it could be casting or fishing or anything that comes to mind that it could help somebody get into, you know, maybe one of their trophy uh, rainbows. Yeah, I would say, um, let's see,
0: I would say always set towards the tail. That's one thing that we, we, I think any guide can relate to that. Um, but generally when you're looking for that, special fish one thing that usually ruins it is is not hooking that fish but landing that fish um and so one of the biggest um false mistakes we see and i would assume most guides see on a regular basis is rather especially when drifting or, or you know fishing moving water um is once that fish eats or the indicator goes down or you know takes the fly on the top whatever it is um so i set that rod tip towards its tail side or you know, some people say um set it downstream mm. um and basically what that does is it always backs that fly in back into the corner of its mouth rather than pull away from it. Oh, right. um, and why is, uh, than, know,
1: why is that different? Yeah, why is that different than your normal, you know, I guess if you're doing a, a trout set on a, you know, just kind of fishing for trout, whether it's a, a dry fly or something else. I guess it, say the dry fly, why not I guess that's why it's they're coming at a different angle, so that's why you're not setting towards their tail with dry flies so
0: you still I, I would argue you'd still want to set towards the tail on dry fly so okay. if, you, if you picture a fish eating a fly on the surface right you know you're not pulling like you know parallel to the water so to speak um but going up into um toward the downstream side oh, right. so right. just kind of crossing that you know if you're if you're fishing towards river right and the fish eats the fly then you're going to be crossing you know to your left shoulder to set the hook if you're right-handed um so basically trying to just trying to pull that fly into the, the direction that the fish is looking at it because um, usually what happens is is a lot of anglers will pull the direction that's most comfortable to their shoulder um, mm-hmm. so it whether that's the right direction or not and in that moment when that that fish um, you know eats the fly if they're pulling upstream um, you know you might that's generally the case when you Fight your fish for a few moments, and then it pops off um, because you, you know, you're pulling the fly away from it. It caught a small piece of its lip, um, but never really sat yeah. sat in there. Gotcha. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's a great. T- uh, you have uh, one more uh, that you might yeah add again. you know thinking about the rainbow, and or maybe I guess it could just be a, just a general. Uh, is there anything that kind of for Alaska that covers it all from a general tip side?
0: Um. Let's see.
1: And I guess you think about the tips, you know, again, the, the blog post thing kind of sticks out there because it just seems like, uh, how many years is that? Four years of a blog post almost every day. Five. Yeah. Five years. Five years almost yeah. every day. Yeah. It, it, just, <laughs> yeah. it seems crazy. And I know some of them were short. Some of them were like the top six tips with a little quick little summary. Um, yep. but yeah, and on all those tips, is it hard to weed through all that stuff you wrote? And is there stuff out there too, that you don't even remember writing? Oh, still, for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I'll, I, I've, you know, tried to grab inspiration for, you know, articles, you know, freelance stuff, you know, writing for magazines or whatever, and, and, uh, try to get some ideas for future articles and that sort of thing. And I'll just Google, you know, topics and find posts that I, you know, wrote or, or, you know, oh, had right. someone write your, your, or your things stuff like that and, and be like, Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, Oh yeah. That's that's cool. <laughs> well, I'm thinking of that. Yeah. Definitely. have forgotten a lot of them. Yeah, for sure. <laughs>
1: that's pretty awesome. Um, so, yeah, well, well uh, I think uh, I've just got a few more quick ones I want to bust through here. So um, do you have okay. a, uh, you know, a go-to piece of gear that's, you know, maybe not necessarily fly fishing that isn't a camera or a dry bag, something that you kind of don't leave home without?
0: Yeah. So um, I use a uh, uh, DeLorme. Technically, it's Garmin now, but um, I have an older edition uh, in um which is like a you know, satellite communicator, I forget what the technical term is, oh, yeah. and, but basically like like a spot locator. Yep. Um, but the, the beauty of the Delorme system is, you know, I'll bring my smartphone, keep it in my waiters or whatever, and um, which you don't even have to, but it makes it easy. But it pairs up with a smartphone and not only gives you the SOS button anywhere in the world through GPS, if you had, you know, if you broke a leg or yeah. had some issue that you needed help, um, but it's also a two-way um, communicator, so you can text through it as well. Um, oh, wow. And so I... Yeah. So I try to keep that on me. Um, whether I was guiding when I was guiding or when I go out to these lodges, um, you know, to host some trips in, in Bristol Bay, I bring it with me because you never know. And, um, and then I take it when we go float for steelhead on a river that we know really well, I, I still bring it because it's really small. Hmm. It's inexpensive um, of a service like $11 per month or something. Um, and it's okay. a pretty, um, good lifeline. Yeah. Highly recommend if anybody fishes anywhere outside of a road system.
1: <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. And what about, do you have a good, uh, favorite book magazine or resource?
0: Ooh, good question. Um, man, I read a lot. Um, I would say a few of my favorite, mag. I read the Flyfish journal a lot. Um, that's one of my favorites. Um, nice. Yeah. I read a lot of blogs, you know a lot of because I spend so much time kind of in the in the blog world um you know ganking gasoline Lewis is a good friend of mine, you know a lot of the guys that have been creating fly fishing content for a long time or have now become friends, and so I try to keep up on everybody's stuff and learn and and uh and try to hopefully make you know my own writing better and that sort of thing so
1: yeah, okay, a lot of
0: research sources out there, yeah,
1: yeah, I was just saying you mentioned the fly fishing. I had um uh, river horse Nakadate on. And, uh, it was a great episode. We chatted about a bunch of stuff and even got into a lot that wasn't even fly fishing related, but, but yeah, <laughs> but he's written, you know, he's written some cool stuff for the journal. And I just received a comment on, uh, on that blog post. You know, I do a blog post with each podcast that comes out. So, sure, so it's an easy way for people to get, you know, I get to the, some other information and links and stuff, but, um, but I had a comment on there and, uh, and it basically said, Hey, you know, thanks for the, thanks for the episode. And I just, I just went and subscribed to the fly fish journal for a year after listening to that <laughs> because he talked about how, you know, how amazing it was. But as far as the comments on the blog post, do you find, I mean, that seems to be a little bit of a struggle for me getting interaction, you know, on comments and things like that. Did you guys get, I think you had quite a bit of interaction. Did you read all the comments on each blog post or how'd you deal with all that?
0: Yeah, I tried to, you know, it was, um, as you know, it's, you know, it's hard to keep up on it. If you, if you do anything outside of the, you know, create content, you know, most of us have jobs um, outside of that. And so at the time it would be at Alaska West, you know, it was guiding 10 hours a day and then also managing the fishing program, um, and then trying to write a post for tomorrow, you know, stay up till midnight, if not later, um. And so to stay on top of the comments, you know, real time was always challenging, but I tried to, um, especially if it was, you know, someone asked a question, um, you know, about some specific like piece of gear or, uh, you know, tip or whatever, um, tried to give a, you know, genuine long answered, um, thing if I could, or sometimes, sometimes they would, you know, in order to fill out one of those comments, they generally have to put their email address in there, which isn't displayed, but it does come through on the back end of WordPress. And so, um if it was a long lengthy thing that I thought no one would care about, or maybe they're asking about, you know, rates or something like that, then I would try to just shoot people emails. And I've always, the the writing side of things, the the most rewarding part of it is, is being able to bring value, you know, to fishermen, whether that's through my ideas or through ideas I hear about, it's all the same. Um, And so I just really enjoyed um, being able to, you know, connect with as many anglers as possible. And so um, anytime there was a comment that I could, you know, communicate to someone with. I always tried to I
1: really enjoy that. Yeah. Okay. And what do you think is the best, you know, the best resource for say Alaska, you know, again, if we want to keep it to, you know, maybe fishing for rainbows, is there, is there another, you know, a blog or a book or any other resource you'd recommend somebody read before they start putting together their trip up there other than say, uh, Daniki or the stuff you've done? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, or is there, or is, it, or do you think Daniki is is the maybe the one of the best resources out there?
0: I think the Daniki blog um, was has put out the most com- content. I don't know if it's you know the best or not. Um, yeah. But honestly, there's there's not a, a lot of Alaska.
1: Yeah, there's not. I think is Alaska.
0: There? No, and and I think Alaska was um, in the mind's eye. That's where everybody wanted to go. Say, um, you know, fifteen years ago. Um, and all fisheries have that, you know, one year it's the Seychelles and the next year it's Christmas Island yeah. and then the next year it's Montana and everybody has, it; it's cyclical and it comes back around, you know, Chemtack had the
1: for the yeah. long time was
0: the you, place everybody wanted you, to go. Right. You would think um, there
1: would be more, you know, I noticed that on my own because when I was, uh, you know, occasionally when I do these episodes, I, I search, you know, I'll search for the name, like, you know, Kyle Shea and, and podcast or something to see, or video or to see what's out there. And, sure. uh, and, and, Alaska, what came up my own blog post with, uh, Brian O'Keefe and I, sure, no kidding, I'm yep. not sure if that's because the cookies were, uh, on my, probably the cookies, yeah, yeah, maybe true. the cookies, but, uh, but I think, again, just, there wasn't a lot, you know, there, there's not yep. a lot of podcasts on Alaska. There's not, I mean, so it, it kind of surprised me. I was like, well, where are all the, where's all the information?
0: Yeah, I think the, I think the reason for that is because, um. Alaska there's some you know there's a lot of you know lifetime guides on um, a lot of fisheries that are super um, talented guides you know been in it for a long long time but um, there's so much turnover um, you know at a lot of the fisheries where there's lodges um, I think having that person to stay on board long enough to create content and, and you know it's a it's not most lodges and outfitters are very small companies and very leanly run um, so they don't usually have a, a content guy you know someone to just write all the time or or do podcasts or things like that. So,
1: um,
0: and then because there's so much turnover, you know, I think there's probably a lot of people bouncing around to gigs and stuff. Um, yeah. So there's not a time, there's some, I mean like, you know, and gasoline, uh, run some stuff, Uh um, hopefully going to be putting out more soon. Um, but the, like the Orvis, um, has always been a good resource for sure.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I'm sure there's some Alaska episodes out there on, on, uh, with Tom's stuff. So, yeah cool uh well before i g- let you get out here uh w- i guess a couple more quick ones uh what's your do you have a favorite uh music uh band or type of music you like to listen to oh
0: man i uh, we just had this conversation the other day at one of the lodges and someone asked me that and i said everything and you told me everybody says that yeah uh, <laughs> but yeah no I, t- I change it for mood I, I listen to a lot of um uh like lately i've been in a like um colter wall or um sergil simpson kind of that like uh underground country type stuff oh, really? okay this time of year but um cool. <clears throat> at alaska west it was always a big deal to have the right uh you know music for when we had to do dishes oh yeah and so you had to keep the energy up so we would go a lot more like hip-hop stuff or like dubs to happy stuff yeah. Yeah. um to you know to stay in the zone um so there you go shout out to dish team legit <laughs> <laughs> nice, <laughs> um, nice. but uh yeah, so it, it changes by by the
1: mood, I think. Okay. All right, perfect. And uh you know, you're how how long have you been doing this now? How long have you been in the fly fishing, you know, kind of the, the industry or whatever?
0: Uh let's see. So this is my seventh year um in Alaska and probably you know, working um in shops and guiding a little bit, probably ten, eleven years. Like, yeah.
1: So ten give or years. take,
0: hard to remember. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. Do
1: you, Do you look yeah. out? Do you look out another ten years or fifteen or twenty years and think about you know what what do you want to be doing then, or is that something you don't even doesn't even cross your mind? You're just kind of going because you've kind of made a big change now with the, the Bristol Bay and stuff there. But do you do you think about that? Your plans for the longer term?
0: Yeah, big time. I I've, I'm always uh, i I would say I'm super introspective and and probably too much of a dreamer at times, um, for my own good. Um, so I, I'm always trying to think of the next step. Um, but it always involves fly fishing to be, um, entirely honest. Um, it's just kind of the Avenue that I, um, you know, think I want to go. I think with this new change, it, it's a lot of different, um, right now, you know, not guiding full time or managing lodges. Um, but it, what it's doing for me is allowing me to learn, you know, um, An entirely different side of this industry. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully spend more time with a rod in my hand, which is uh which I'm looking forward to. Um and uh I'd see it as you know, I I generally love the fly fishing industry, not just fishing, um, and love every aspect of it from the the business side to the fishing side to the guiding side. Um and so if I can learn every piece of it um I can, then um that's what I'm trying to do. So yeah. So awesome.
1: Yep. Cool. Well, in the next six to twelve months, anything new uh, coming up for yourself, for kind of the companies you're working for? You want to let us know?
0: Yeah, we're we're um, in the pipe to drop some new websites. Um, hopefully soon. Hopefully we'll get them out um, this summer. Um, and so it's a big, big project, but I'm hoping to get a. You know, currently we have just a, you know, face of our parent company at Bristol Ventures that redirects us kind of to our. Um, previous parent company called cat my land um but soon it'll be a you know brand new website and then each gig will have their own um website and we're hoping to you know do some really cool stuff as far as start um, blogging again and and creating content and ramping up our social media so Mm -hmm. so it should start uh building real fast here soon so that okay. should be coming real soon
1: yeah perfect all I'll leave a link to that uh in the show notes and then if people want to find you either uh kyle shea fly is that the best place or
0: yep yeah that'll be um if they want to go check out you know past articles um or blog posts or um there's a little media page on there with some videos um as well as you know a contact form that'll shoot me a email to my personal email address and then if they want to Um, get hold of me about trips or whatnot they can um, reach out at kyle.shea s-h-e-a at bristoladventures.com that's my work email um or they can you know anybody's more than welcome to reach out on instagram um, at kshea underscore fly fishing i do uh, tend to do a lot of communicating through there nowadays okay is Is instagram so
1: instagram is the best on the social yep yeah i'd say so yeah okay All right, Kyle. Well, uh, thanks for coming on. I uh, appreciate you sharing the, uh, you know, the knowledge and the tips today. It's been, you know, it's been a lot of fun and, uh, and definitely for all the work you've done, I know blog, you know, writing blog posts, um, is not easy for a lot of people and, uh, it sounds like you enjoy it, but, uh, definitely appreciate the resources that you've provided and, and yeah, well, I'll keep in touch with you here as you go along. I'm excited to see w- where you're going to take your, uh, you know, your work as you go. Excellent day. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Okay. See ya. All right, bud. All right. Bye. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes, all well, the links we cover, just go to wetflyswing.com slash nine, two interested in heading out on a fishing trip with me and a few of our great guests from the podcast. We'll be heading out on a lodge trip to one of these amazing destinations next year. And I need 10 people who are ready for a trip of a lifetime. Go to wetflyswing.com slash destination to find out more and to uh, get your name in the hat for this trip and ones to follow thanks again for stopping by check out the show today look forward to catching up to you soon and hope to maybe see you online or on the river thanks for listening to the wet fly swing fly fishing show for notes and links from this episode visit wetflyswing.com and if you found this episode helpful please subscribe and leave a review on itunes